Proud Boys name. But but the the you know Gavin McGinnis wanted anyone to join. You have neo-Nazis in the Proud Boys alongside people of color. He cast a wide net, but he the promise that all of these people are gathering under is that that ability to go out and fight it. I mean, Gavin McGinnis is kind of like an Alex Jones character, um, but, but instead of spewing conspiracy theories all day, he is pushing for political violence specifically in the name of GOP and Trump. So let's stick with Trump right now. I'd like to go back to 2020 to the first uh, presidential debate. Trump refused to condemn white supremacists after being questioned by debate moderator Chris Wallace of Fox News. What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and right like me to condemn? White Proud supremacists boys. and right Proud boys. boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. His this own is a left-wing This is a left-wing problem. Stand back and stand by, which became so famous. Uh, talk about this moment and the relationship between Trump and Proud Boys. Right. Well, you know, people argue over that line, <clears throat> whether or not Trump intended to activate the Proud Boys, uh, but it doesn't matter. The Proud Boys took that as marching orders. They saw Trump looking directly at them and saying, fight for me. And they began raising funds. One of their top leaders uh, published a blog calling for civil war. They saw January 6th as their last stand for Trump. And, and through their relationships with the GOP, they had uh, no reason not to believe that they were being given marching orders because in the previous six years and following January 6th, uh, they had full support from Trump's inner circle. None of these people have rebuffed them. In fact, they've uh, been on their side all along. I sat down with Roger Stone, Trump's confidant, uh, last year when he was under intense scrutiny for his proximity to the insurrection. And he admitted to me in that conversation that he had been advising the Proud Boys politically uh, for years and, in fact, you know, talked them through uh, getting out of their charges after an assault on protesters here in Manhattan in 2018. I mean, these guys were early on very connected politically to, to Trump's circle. And it's no surprise because Trump uh, is almost giddy about having people in the street for him, uh, you know, regardless of what they're doing. If it's violence, it's violence. And you notice there in, in, in that question he got on the stage that he immediately pivoted and said, this is a leftist problem. This is Antifa. That is exactly um, the kind of rhetoric that keeps the Proud Boys uh, around. I mean, a swath of the American public believes that Antifa and BLM and leftists You're listening to KBOO 90.7 FM. If you're able, please go to kboo.fm forward slash give to make a contribution in support of the critical work of community radio. Thank you. Tune in to KBOO on Wednesday, October 5th for Dead Moon Night. A four-hour extravaganza celebrating, celebrating the 2017 event when 1,100 rockers showed up outside Portland City Hall to commemorate the legendary band Dead Moon in an official city proclamation of October 5th as Dead Moon Night. Again, that's Dead Moon Night, Wednesday, October 5th, from 8 p.m. till midnight. Here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Good morning. 
Today is the 26th day in September 2022. You are listening to More Talk Radio on KBOO-FM, your community radio station. I am Cecil, and I am George. <laughs> and I am Celeste. And KBOO, KBOO.FM, 90.7 here in the city. 91.9 in the Columbia River Gorge. In the Willamette Valley, it's 104.3. And as we said, it's top KBOO.FM in the ether everywhere. Good morning. Good morning, people. What Good, you morning. Up to? Good morning, Celeste. I am up to a nice, nice autumn morning. You know, the, it felt like fall early on this morning. Here in Portland, probably get warmer, but right now it feels like fall. How are you today? Well, I'm kind of like you mentioned, enjoying the fall weather. I'm an autumn baby, so you know, even though summer is my is my thing, I do come alive for the autumn too. So I'm enjoying the moment, and I'm sure a lot of people are uh, really excited about the idea of hard work being rewarded you know there's this saying you reap what you sow and if you've been sowing good stuff you're all excited about reaping the benefits of all the hard work you put in um and uh you know there's going to be lots of celebrations and there's going to be some harvest events for sure i think one of the most captivating events though in the fall is that whole thought of going back to school. And if you're in like, I don't know, high school or college, you know, right about now, you're thinking about homecoming. Or are you thinking ahead to how you're going to pay that student loan off? Well, <laughs> that is part of the eternal question in, in terms Indeed of... Indeed it is. In terms Indeed of financing higher education and as many of our listeners know the president has has stated a student debt forgiveness program that um, allows many people the opportunity to um, to you know uncover from the from the pile of debts they are, are living in and, and just see maybe a glimpse of the opportunity that they will not be paying off student loans for the next 30, 40 years of their lives. And just merely touching the, uh, uh, the, just paying off the the interest and not even um, touching. Touching the principal, yeah. The principal, so yeah, that's that's a challenge. So, um, you know, briefly the forgiveness program is forgiven up to 20,000 in student debts for borrowers and it will impact millions of 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 children of of students and and parents who who took out loans for their children's education. Um yes, they did. Now that on the surface seems as if it is a popular idea that many people would welcome and support but you told me, Celeste, that not everyone's behind this. No, can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, well, okay, I'm being facetious. Yes, I can't imagine why. I read the articles, I listened to people, and then people and I kind of discussed things we've been hearing. And um, we, we seem to have uh, an interesting divide. And it doesn't, it's not just a generational divide either. That's one of the fascinating things about it. Those who applaud the idea of loan forgiveness and those who think that those shirkers ought to get off their dusty duff, their dusty duff and uh, pay their bill. And um, I think it's really important that we have some conversations about that because some people are even, even blaming um, um financial um, destruction. I mean, they're taking it all the way there. Well, this could be the, the destruction of our, of our economy as we know it if we pay off, I mean, if we forgive these loans. And they're not thinking about all of the um, different factors that are involved 
with loans throughout, well, the history of student loans. And um, one of the things we wanted to do was have a discussion with um, our listening audience, especially young people. And by young people, I mean millennials and younger who are dealing with a different beast of a loan payment than some of us who are older may have experienced. And I want to hear, you know, how, how this affects you, what you think of it. Was it enough? Was it not enough? Um, how do you how do you discuss it with people who really think that you are anti-American if you want your loan forgiven? Um, how do you explain it to um, your your family members when or your children even when you're trying to figure out if you can afford things and telling them, I think we don't have that kind of money. You're going to take out a loan and and watch some child's face break because they look at the idea of never paying off these loans and being a um, wage slave just because they want a better life. And there's lots of reasons why people feel like, you know, this is inappropriate. Some people are actually angry because they think, well, why, why are you going to college and making all this money then and then asking for a loan to be forgiven? Why don't you just be uh, happy with a, a, a job? Employment. Why are you concerned about having a professional career? And I, I, I don't. I think that's kind of a, it's kind of a cop out because you know, it, each of us is wired for different, different encounters, different types of employment, and you know, there's dignity in work. So you don't, you don't want to necessarily fall in that hole, but you do want to use um, uh, some discernment when you're trying to pick out the scenarios where you do have loan forgiveness and maybe somebody has amassed a large amount of loans trying to pursue higher education. Uh, but, it's you know, there's other factors, too. It's like, well, interest rates have changed. So maybe they are paying an exorbitant amount in relation to what, you know, some of us older people who went to college with loans are paying. But this is your chance to discuss that and have a conversation and uh, um, share your insights and like I said, I especially want to hear from people who are in the midst of paying these loans off um, or, or struggling under uh, high levels of debt. Uh, and uh, to get you started, the phone number is 503-231-8187. Um, we do have another topic, too, because, well, <laughs> it's been like that. <laughs> Uh, I had a conversation with Cecil, and I told him, you know what, uh, I wanted to add this topic because it seems to me I'm not hearing enough uh, concern, discussion, uh, kerfluffle, you know, fear, <laughs> whatever, about the fact that uh, the president of Russia, Putin, has said in no uncertain terms and without hyperbole or blinking, that he is going to use nuclear weapons on the West if they don't stop messing with his plan for world domination. And maybe I was expecting people to go running, screaming in the streets. I don't well, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. But I was surprised at how little uh, concern there was coming from the media, coming from, um, you know, uh, uh, people in the street coming on TV, on radio, in the press, and I just thought, no, maybe you're not reading the right stuff. Yeah, and it could be. Right. <laughs> it, well, it could be. Well, certainly, um, the uh, United States government has responded to the threat of of the use of tactical nuclear weapons. Um, the president of the United States at his speech at the United Nations last week, um, the uh, National Security uh, Director. Um, Jack Sullivan yesterday on Face the Nation um, spoke um, about about that, and also the Secretary of State um, yesterday on 60 Minutes um, gave gave an interview. Um, both of them said that uh, the use of nuclear weapons uh, will be catastrophic if Russia went down the dark road of nuclear weapons use, and. 
Uh, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, used similar language. He said that it is very important that Moscow hear from us and know from us that the consequences would be horrific, and we've made that very clear. Um, there's been some pushback from some some uh, media sources in, in Russia saying, oh, don't be so, so afraid. Um, but... You know the the talk of nuclear weapons, the use of it, and especially, uh, I think uh, nations are worried about it. Um, especially, you know, the idea of when you push into a corner and you have these weapons of mass destruction, you might do something wrong. But uh, I think you are correct in in terms of of the outcry from masses of people on the streets. Maybe there is a silence about that, uh, Celeste. Uh, but I think certainly well, in the halls of government, uh, people are taking note and are pushing back on on this uh, threat of the use of tactical nuclear weapons. Well, maybe it might be uh, a good idea to even look at what types of pushbacks and, and responses there are. And maybe I'm in a odd place like so many folks because I feel like we are we're being a lot more nonchalant no no we're appearing more nonchalant with uh, Putin than we were say when uh, North Korea started their saber rattling you know uh, when uh, Kim Jong-un uh, made announcements uh, and according to this chart I'm looking at you know, with his his twenty nuclear weapons, his military stockpile of twenty. Uh, you know, we seem to be more responsive and louder and more pointed and demonstrative than we are with Russia, who not only has more than us, but they have more than oh, I don't know, uh, uh, ten times, a hundred times North Korea. Well, no. I I I have a separate opinion from from you, a different opinion on on that. But okay, let's, let's hear. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> let's let's hear from our callers. Our numbers are five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. Let's hear from Molly. Good morning, Molly. Good morning, Good morning Cecil. Molly. Good morning, Celeste. Wonderful. You make Monday morning so so much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to say, first of all, before I address the first topic, which you mentioned, the, the student loans, is that um, I've been playing Eric Von Schmidt and Joshua Goes Barbados ever since you mentioned uh, your father when we talked about the Queen and, and the various uh, celebrations or mornings thereof. And, uh, you know, that's just a great song, and it goes into my next, you know, what you mentioned, education and student loans, because... This is important stuff to remember. Joshua goes Barbados, you know, strike for a better pay. That's a great song, and in case you don't know it, <laughs> but um, it's talking about the strikers, you know, who are no longer slaves, but almost the same thing, getting paid so poorly, and how, you know, we're at that stage in many ways in many places. But I just want to say that I was among, I was a waitress, and waiting tables and was made aware of the fact that I could get a student loan back in the days of the Reagan era, era which did really enable student loans, one and two percent. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was waiting tables and I ended up, you know, I loved art and I ended up taking a bunch of, I went back to school at Portland State just kind of for fun because it was like go take classes or wait tables and um, with a student loan of that, you know, easy to pay back, which I'll just say right now, I paid back my student loan in 10 years, $50 a month, mm. doable for anybody. And that's not the case today. And I would want any way that students get it, people, young people can get an education, the cheapest possible and free would be the best. But I just want to say that I just took a bunch of art classes for fun. Then I took, ended up boring ed classes, ended up getting a teaching degree, and it was just fantastic. And without that cheap student loan, I never could have done it. And 
education is important, important, and it's important not to forget the great early folk singers like Eric von Schmidt, who Dylan has on his first uh, on the cover of his album "Bringing It All Back Home." Um, when I listened earlier to the folk expresso, um, I was aware that maybe some of these older songs aren't even known. That dates me a bit, and I just want to give a last shout-out to the great Pharaoh Sanders that Mm, I just heard uh, the song on Amy. um, Democracy Now. He just just died at age 81. Uh, The Creator has a master plan, peace and happiness for every man. I love the great Pharaoh Sanders, always loved him. I'm so sad to hear that we've lost another great. Well, you know, we still have him in memory and in sound, so we'll celebrate still. Right. I'm going to play Joshua Goes Barbados and the creator has a master plan after the show. Excellent. All right. (laughs) To inspire the the beautiful fall day as you started. I'll let other people call and and listen to your your wonderful words of wisdom that you always have. Thank Thank you you for your show. Thank you so much. So much, Molly, and I. Thank you. I think it's it's helpful to um, um, compare what Molly said in terms of her experience with with student loans and the opportunity um, that she had. Um, she didn't say how much um, was how much money she took took out um, the loan she took out, but she did say that she paid fifty dollars a month, and in ten years the loan was paid off. Um, many who experience um, student loans and uh, previous generation also experience that in that they had the opportunity, as as Molly suggested, to explore different opportunities. When you're young, you may not know where you want to go. She had the opportunity uh, to go, go to um, university, explore art art classes, and was able uh, to pay off her loan in 10 years uh, and $50 a month. Uh, compare that to what uh, people have experienced um, in recent years in terms of being being overwhelmed by, by the amount of student loans and the rates of pay. So it isn't uh, just uh, high-paying uh, professionals, engineers, or doctors who have have loans to pay off, but ordinary people who were, for lack of a better term, um, sucked in um, into uh, taking, uh, taking loans without really understanding the consequences, uh, understanding the, the interest rates in terms of how they might uh, will be charged. And so many people who make you know, less than $125,000 a year. And that's, you know, think of that. That's what the president is offering for those who make under $125,000 a year, um, debt forgiveness. What are your thoughts? 503-231-8187. And uh, I, you know, when you mentioned this, Celeste, I, I couldn't remember my student loan payment it was um so long ago but i you know i <laughs> i had you know um undergrad and grad school uh loans but i you know after, afterwards i never had a, a high paying job but i was able to pay it off in 10 years um and it was not a you know inconvenience um it was something, you know, I paid off monthly, but was something that was doable. Um and I didn't it, it was doable if you if you were able to have continued employment and no interruption. And that's another thing. Now I had I was the victim of a of a bait and switch to a degree because um the the uh university I went to out of high school, um they didn't want to give me a scholarship. And they decided, okay, we're going to give you a small scholarship and we're going to give you a big loan. And so I said, look, I want to come here because I needed to stay close to family. And I 
have scholarship offers from these other schools, so why can't you match this? And, you know, they reluctantly agreed. And I said, and how are you not going to give me this when I'm actually in your honors program? So what exactly <laughs> are you good for anyway? What's the point of you, as they say? But, uh, you know, and then my, my loan was, um, it was, it wasn't high, but it was high for those times. And I had to do some serious negotiating, you know, to keep it manageable. And um, school was a lot cheaper then, too. You could get a two or $3,000 loan, and that would pay off all of your school needs maybe for the entire year and have a little left over. What, you know, two or $3,000 loan, what, what is that going to pay now, you know? And so you look at the difference in the actual cost of education first. But you want to hear an interesting piece of trivia? Um, now, some people, you know, without really giving it a lot of thought and without going to look, may think that student loans were big and first arrived on the scene in the 50s. But uh, the first student loans here in, in the U.S. were um, uh, actually given to students at Harvard University, okay, back in the 1800s, 1840 or so. Uh, and so uh, when the, uh, when the uh, U.S. Department of Education was founded back in 1860s, uh, they did not administer loans the same way they were given now. Uh, they gave them to these folks who were going to Harvard University. Okay, there were a whole lot of people who were not allowed to go to Harvard back in 1840. And then in 1944 or so is when we started seeing something similar to what we have now. Uh, and then again in 56, it rolled out. But it was it was it wasn't until 1976 I think that you really started seeing a big boom because you saw a lot more minority students, a lot more uh, lower income students coming through, a lot more women going to college, and uh, that's when uh, the idea of filling out your grant paperwork was part of the whole ritual of going for higher education. You know, get your grants, get your loans. And so it was an opportunity for the the working class, for minorities, for women, to get that coveted leg up that up until that point were only granted not only to men, you know, for the most part, but to white men and to upper class white men or more than not poor, you know, going to Harvard. Um, and so, wow. you know, when we talk a lot about so-called handout um, mentality, uh, handouts for the poor, we forget that the rich have handouts too. Or maybe we need to remind them. Well, I don't think we forget, but we need to remind them that, you know, they have their handouts too. And so there is absolutely no shame attached to this. So give us some of your ideas and some of your thoughts. Was it about this. Thank you for sharing some of the background and history, Celeste. I think that's so helpful to put it in context. Our numbers are 503-231-8187. Are you, um, are you impacted by the Biden Student Loan Forgiveness Program? Um, will it make a difference in your life? Um, give us a call and, and share some information about how you are living and whether it will change the way um, you um, conduct your life. Is it is it relief? Is it enough? Um, what, what more needs to be done if it's not? Our numbers again are 503-231-8187 and Celeste also mentioned that we should be aware of the doomsday clock and it is maybe two minutes before Midnight, and and the leader of the country with uh, a lot of nuclear weapons, uh, you know, they're almost as many as the United States. Um, you know, we United States remains number one uh, because you know, United States is the only nation that has ever um, used a nuclear 
weapon against another nation in war. Uh, but are you threatened? Are you concerned about the possible use of tactical nuclear weapons in Central Europe? Our numbers are 503-231-8187. And let's go to our next caller. And our next caller is Brenda. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning. Good Hello. morning. How are you, Brenda? Did we lose you, Brenda? Oh, yes, I'm good. Thank you. Good, good. So what's on your mind? So um, back in early 2000, 2006, 2009, I went to grad school. I uh, took out about 70000 in loans to finish that program. Wow. And back then, I was a single mom. Still am. Um, and been working and paying it off via the, uh, the income-based repayment plan. Mm. So that requires mm -hmm. me to pay about 15% of my income toward my student loans. So here we are in 2022, and I've been paying that off for over 10 years now at that rate. And due to interest, my loans now are 150 grand. Ugh. I owe over 150,000. Wow. wow. Okay, so you started so out with 70,000. 70. Yeah, and I've, mm -hmm. I have paid that original amount, but due to interest and not being able to pay the full interest yes. every month, it's added up to now 150 grand. Wow. So what is the interest rate, uh, if, if I might ask? It is 6.9%. 6.9%, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> that's frightening. And see, that's one thing that people don't understand is first there was the fact that graduate school, caught at, well, I, I, you said you took out 70000 for graduate school exclusively, or was that the total amount for your college education? 70000 for graduate school. 70, okay. Now, see, that's the thing a lot of people want to get um, kind of snitty about. It's like, well, first, why did you have to spend so much, and why you got to go to grad school? It's like some degrees, a bachelor's degree, is won't get you where you want to go or need to go, and you have to have higher education, you know. Uh, and then the fact that you paid $70,000 for grad school should not be overlooked. Uh, grad school was not that expensive when I was younger. And uh, you're paying 6.9% interest. And so when you read these articles, I was reading an article, um, I think I found it on msn.com. Uh, the man, his name was Elton Johnson, uh, and he was complaining that Biden's student loan handout is a slap in the face to combat debt. And it's like, well, uh, we have to look at what the current uh, economy not only uh, demands of us, but what you know that it will support. And if you can't get an education without spending less than $70,000, that's what you have to do. Uh, you know, and I, I appreciate the fact that your loan now is more, your, your, your loan amount that you have to repay back is more than your original principal. That's frightening to me. It's, it's like being a wage slave. Well, it is being a wage slave. Yes, ma'am. I work in a mental health field, um, and so I, I do help a lot of people, but it's not a high-paying job. So, um, yeah. Well, no, that's, that's, you know, that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, too, you work in the mental health field. To be a, um, a licensed, um, uh, so, oh, I can't get it. Okay, social worker with a, a mental health uh, certification, you have to have a master's. You cannot come out with a bachelor's and do that kind of work, and it is not a high-paying job. That's correct, yes. And, and could you tell tell us if, if you've applied for the um, loan forgiveness program, and if so, uh, how has that been for you? Uh, well, I'm no based repayment plan, which is uh, 20 years of making payments at 15% of my income. Mm -hmm. So that um, it becomes forgiven, but it becomes a tax burden at that point. I see. I see. 
So do you have a sense um, um, when or if ever you will uh, have a clean slate? How many years into the future? Um, possibly in 10 years that uh, whatever's left will be forgiven. So it could be 200000 at that point. And then that is a taxable income as a, uh, as a oh. gift. It's taxable. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you have my complete <laughs> sympathy and support. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we want to have this conversation because it's, it's a small uh, talking point, but it's a talking point nonetheless that a lot of conservatives are bringing up as if we're giving some kind of handout to people. And what we're doing is we're, it, it's succession planning is what it is, pure and simple. If we don't have a population that has access, easy access to education, then we might as well give up ever being a major force in this world, you know, a force for good, we hope. So, you know, it's really important that people understand the challenges that you face when you are young and you're trying to pay off these loans and to discuss some of the controversy between them because it's not a handout it's something that we owe our next generation so that they can keep this country strong i want to thank you for for the work that you do both in that and for uh being a single parent trying to make things uh whole and wholesome so thank you so much for your call and for your effort you listen thank you very much thank you you're listening to kboo more talk radio uh, numbers of 503-231-8187 and Robbie is next. Hi, Robbie. Good morning. I didn't want to switch it too much, but I know you were talking about the doomsday clock and the nuclear war that America, I think, has kind of taken us to. Yes. Well, not so I much just, that. More, more about Putin's threat for use of nuclear weapons. See, here's the thing. He is being provoked, and like, and this is this is the thing that I, I, I uh, it's hard for me to bear witness to all the the media that's going on right now because uh, I'll, I'll share with you. In 2019, there was the Rand Corp, which is kind of like a think tank for the U.S. military. They published a report um, about how the U.S. could stoke conflict in the Russian Caucasus. It was going to, it would, part of this to, it's, it's called Extending Russia, but it's the chapter describes six possible moves the U.S. could do, including providing lethal arms to Ukraine, resuming support to the Syrian rebels, which I don't know if you're aware, but we're stealing <laughs> oil from Syria right now. We're doing a lot of stuff in Syria. Uh, we're promoting regime change in Belarus, exploiting the Armenian and the Azeri tensions, which is intensifying right now. Uh, intensif uh, intensifying attention to Central Asia, isolating Trans-Syria, um, the Russian-occupied enclave. There, there's like, they also bring up Iran, which is kind of like a situation where I'm noticing how much people here are, when we pay attention to regime change, it's just so, uh, I don't know, it's just really convenient to see how all of a sudden everybody cares about this one particular thing. And it's just so coincidental that it happens to be in, you know, uh, something that, you know, like an adversary of America, you know, there's all these situations coming up. And I, I just I think, honestly, our very notion of like, oh, wow, Putin's threatening us with nuclear war. I mean, there was an and there is an attempted assassination on Putin about a week or a week and a half or two weeks ago. Um, did Are you aware of that? I heard about it on the news, yeah. So, you know, and, and so, like, and I'll, I'll bring up this, this one article. It says, in Ukraine, the U.S. is dragging us towards war with Russia. This article was written in 2014, and it explains clearly Washington's role, and this is what it says, Washington's role in Ukraine and its backing for the regime neo-Nazis has huge implications for the rest of the world. And it basically talks about how America's provoking this war with Russia, but it's just so fascinating to me because here in America, which if you pay attention to a lot of world news, they're actually not very supportive of what's going on in Ukraine on America's side. People are kind of 
you know, questioning our our war that's going on there um, on the world front. I think that's kind of clear. But you know, this this it, it's it's so obvious. This is provocation. However, here it's always Putin's fault, and it's like, well, wait, we spent what was it 13 billion with blackwater in ukraine last year making a private army we've been arming them to the teeth we had military troops on the border there uh you know we're we're, nato is approaching all over there but for some reason this is still putin threatening this i'm just a little confused because during a time of war like this propaganda is its highest and, and it's so easy for us to fall into this trap in this narrative of American dominance and thinking that somehow America, I mean, you said it first, it's like, oh, this bad guy with all these nuclear weapons. And it's like, well, they almost have as much as America. Right. <laughs> it's like, how is that? How is it that Russia is the one doing this? Yeah. So I thank you. And, and I appreciate you highlighting the, the role of the, the role of propaganda and how we need to, um, be very nuanced in our discussion and very aware in terms of how we examine these issues. Uh, and so it's not something you pick up and automatically assume what you read in uh, mass media as the, well, as as truth without the ability to question. And I think we need to be aware of the whole picture. So thank you so much for I'm sharing your thoughts. You are listening to More Talk Radio. We're speaking this morning a couple of things. One, on the student loan forgiveness and the threat of the use of tactical nuclear weapons in Central Europe. Our numbers are 503-231-8187. And we will now go to Harry. Good morning. Good morning, Harry. Good morning. How you doing? And uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, about the student loan forgiveness program, it's just an enticement. I'm I'm really wondering if it will ever go through, um, because the amount of money that's involved. There's um, um, the how much money. This is the only um, student loans, or is the only loan that you can't take the bankruptcy. And uh, they did this on purpose. And the idea of America was um, you can take, you can, if you fail, you can start all over again. And uh, so we didn't have debtors' prisons. You know, you couldn't uh, be thrown in jail and stuff. And this is what this, and this is a lifelong commitment, and it can even affect your Social Security. Um, if you start retiring, you owe money from um, um, student loans, and uh, and so this is something that has to be really taken care of right away. Why this is the why uh, student loans are the only ones that you can't go through bankruptcy, and um, and so also this um, um, student re um, um, forgiveness program. Um, Okay, the government forgives it. Well, the, wouldn't the bank sue, and the government would have to pay the banks the balance of all these student loans? So the government well, that hasn't been determined banks. yet. If the banks can sue, you know, I'm I'm sure that they are trying to find that loophole. Yeah, so uh, they're, they're trying, but, but so the government will have to end up paying the banks for all these student loans, which is our tax dollars. So we all end up paying for it anyway. So it's kind of have to, you know, right? Yeah, and so uh, this is all the issue. So if it actually comes uh, to bail, if there's anything, of course, uh, the Republicans are going, to, are going to try to block anything like this. So it's we'll see if it actually goes through, and well, um, and 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 look at the amounts instead of all of it going. Um, uh-huh. So. Um, now my story of, of student loans. Um, I um, I'm a graduate of Portland State, also uh, class of '85. And uh, how I went to school was um, back in 1979. There was a recession, and I lost my job, and I couldn't find a job 
for anyone. I just couldn't find one. So I had two choices, the military or go to college. At the time, there was enough student loans, uh, not, not student loans, but uh, grants. The state gave a grant. The feds gave a grant. You could, and um, you can get grants for being low income. And it paid for everything except for your living expenses. You know, and uh, and that's what um, uh, people took some loans out for. I didn't have to, so except for the first year, uh, my freshman year, I had to take out a loan. But the rest of time, I I didn't have to. But at the end, I was paying forty dollars a month wow. for ten years wow. to pay for my the the student loan I had. You know, so. Um, yeah, so um, it's it's just what, what, what was the total amount that you what was the total amount that you had as as a loan and what was your interest rate? The interest the the interest rate was like two percent. The total amount was like maybe three thousand or four thousand mm-hmm. or something. But okay. you know the economy was different. The wages mm-hmm. were lower. I mean, you know, so. Um, that that's what it was. It wasn't you know that much. Um, you uh, if you took out a loan, it wasn't that much. But also the banks had a had if you want to take out a student loan, well, hey, you could. Um, that's part of doing business is making student loans um, profitable. Yeah. And the only way to make it profitable is hey, we uh, you can't bank you can't uh, claim bankruptcy. You know. We're going to get our money no matter what, you know, all the way through your life till you, you know, even if you go to get Social Security, you know, they can take 25% of that. Well, thank you for for sharing your story, and thank you Mm -hmm. for for your thoughts. Okay, thank you. Mm Bye-bye. You're listening to Your Community Connection, KBLO Portland, 90.7 here in the city, 91.9 in the Columbia River Gorge. In the Willamette River Valley, 104.3 KBOO.FM, everywhere else. This is More Talk Radio with Cecil and myself, Celeste, and we're, we're talking about um, attitudes, ideas behind the student loan forgiveness, debt forgiveness, as well as Cecil and I have a, a different view on the whole response to Putin's declaration of nuclear possibility. And and so we're we're uh, sharing our thoughts with you and trying to stimulate a little conversation. The phone number is five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. And good morning, Mark. You are next. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, welcome to the endless summer, or this is uh, actually California weather. You know, it's always in the seventies in Oakland and Berkeley. And it can't get any better than that. And I wanted to make a few comments. I uploaded two articles to IndieBay.com this morning, uh, one titled Ukraine War, A New Stage. And the author ended by saying that Russia's mobilization of 300,000 is good news in in a real way in that it makes a nuclear attack much more unlikely now uh that's an important point uh a positive point and sometimes uh, we in in times of war uh become so hysterical uh and um demonize the other and don't see our own involvement our own provocations and uh our own coup in uh 2014 now uh, as a democratic socialist i i understand that the state, our state, is making itself poor, has made itself poor, by giving trillions to the big Wall Street banks as uh, too big to fail. Uh, at the same time, uh, we are a rich country because the global south invests in the United States, or we have taken a lot of uh, resources from the global south, and we're still looked upon as a, a safe uh, uh, investment. investment. Uh-huh. So the, we we should be investing, subsidizing teachers and nurses. 
Uh, Minimally, uh, we should be. You're right. We should be. And, and of course, the, the government, of course, seems to be inept, um, inert. Uh, that's my perspective. I also wanted to, to ask you a question. Uh, was, was Jesus, in trying to instill trust in God, uh, using humor, he said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Now, is, now we're, we're not catching sparrows, you know. And he said, no sparrow has fallen to the ground uh, without their, their father's, without the, the creator's uh, uh, consent. Isn't that a powerful argument? That you're, you're worth more than many sparrows, so why are you so anxious? What, what's your comment on that? Well, we could... Uh Briefly, you know, Jesus used humor, and we can have a biblical discussion at another time. But uh, thank you for your call and for your perspective on these issues. Well, yes, and you know, I I really believe that war is a product of fear. Uh, Eugen Druermann, uh, kind of an exiled theologian uh, in Germany, has emphasized that. He's written many books. He actually lives without a telephone, a computer, and a refrigerator. Um, so we have to beware of uh, propaganda, and we have to, we can't be anxious. You know, be be not anxious for your life, and we should see uh, the the Creator who created all things out of nothing as our source of strength and hope. Okay, thank you so much. Well, thank yes, thank you so much for that, Mark. I, you know, I, I, I one thing I do want to echo that he said is about being anxious. You know, when we talk about it, hopefully, what we're doing is looking at possibilities, creating possibilities, creating alternative, uh, positive realities, rather than exercising futility and and anxiety. So I, I'm, I'm thankful that we have this opportunity to talk and to uh, look at what the possible future could be if we can reduce our anxiety and get to know each other. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to say that's, you know, <laughs> the answer, because, you know, joining hands and singing Kumbaya does not always solve a conflict. No, it doesn't. Okay, well, we're trying to have a little technical problems here. As soon as we complete it, we will go to our next caller, author. But there's some strange things are happening in the studio. Yes, so I hear. Moment. <laughs> so let's. Uh, okay, author is on. Good, good morning, author. Good morning to both of you. Thank you for taking my call. It's uh-huh. um, it's a beautiful day today. Um. I just heard last week there's a critical, critical shortage of emergency medical room workers, nurses, surgeons, teachers, bus drivers, you name it. You know? Yes. Education should be completely free, as should okay. transportation be. It's been commodified as if human beings being commodified like, like uh, cattle. Yes. Uh, transportation, I think, should be free. And education should be completely free. That way, you get more surgeons, more nurses, uh, more doctors. Uh, I had one. I had for the last year. I've been blind in one eye. It took three surgeries, three surgeries, three different surgeons, twenty doctor visits, and always short. Everybody's short-staffed. They don't have enough workers, qualified, highly educated workers. Education should be free. Period. Right. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Hey, uh, that, hey, thank you. Know, you. The, 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 the trouble I have, the trouble I have is that uh, back in the day, you know, old, old day, I could go go to college and then, uh, you know, slowly drop out. I got a degree in mathematics. I could drop out of school, work for a while, and get some more money for the next class. Nowadays, a single college class I think costs two thousand dollars. You know that that that's fourfold of what when I was a kid. Uh, so I don't want to get all old 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 school. But uh, yeah, there's um, 
I, I personally, my personal opinion is if you want to get more nurses, surgeons, anybody, pay them more money and make it free to, you know, make it less difficult somehow. Right. Well, you so know, need... go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think that those are important points. And I think among those is, is sort of questioning the paradigm. Um, we do not have to accept um, the, the the reality, the systems we are living in now. So um, certainly should question, and then at one point when we think of public education, it was for the public and it was for free. Um, you can look at the not only um, primary and secondary schooling, uh, but the um, state university uh, systems uh, throughout the nations were, were free. And, you know, it because your thoughts recall a time when I was very small and maybe because I was a little bit selfish, but whenever I went around to the to the store around the corner to get my candy or comic book. I, I wonder how come I had to pay for it. And I often ask my parents, wouldn't it be better if people just uh, had whatever they need? Why do we have money? Uh, why do we have to pay for things we need? Now, I didn't need my comic book or, or those uh, candy, uh, but I think the point you are making is to question the, the paradigm and the way we... Uh, um, commodified so much of of living. Well, the, the the yeah, exactly, and and the results are now. This is we have a severe shortage of medical personnel in this country because I talked to my my personal physician uh, a couple of months ago, and she just casually mentioned. Well, she goes, she's highly she's highly qualified. She goes, well, I do have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of debt. Yeah, you know there it's you and and but they're running, but they at the same time they're short on doctors. Well, you know, there's a lot more to it than we'll be able to get to uh, with this one call. But I want to thank you for the call and for reminding us. You know, not only do we need to look at how we prioritize, you know, what's important to the stability of the country and of our communities, but that the care of human beings should be a major priority and if the education to keep us all healthy uh could be free it should be free no reason yeah. why i can't thank you for your call okay thank you, you know the thing about shortage shortage is i went to nursing school in 1980 and there was a shortage of nurses then it's 2022 near the end of it part of this is not only an issue with how we commodify and then price out of the reach of those who needed most health care. It's also the fact that um, the pillars of a middle class are always being attacked and shaken. So the, the shortage is not just due to the fact that, um, say, there's not enough schools or there's not enough teachers. It's also the fact that the education, as a caller just said, is very expensive and it, that cost has been artificially pumped up just like our our healthcare system as it is and there's a whole lot of factors involved in that uh but i want to thank um mark for uh, arthur for bringing this up because well it's all part of that whole destabilization of the middle class uh we're let's see we have one more person to try to get to wage you're on next and we have about two minutes okay i'll be fast um just on historical point i noticed was um somebody mentioned that you did i think it was uh, that these loans came about um in the 40s right after the war so after all spending all that money on war now there was no money for education that, that yes that they were free basically and um and um, and the other was on um, the Ukraine um, that noticed that Putin has made some comments alluding to, in which we do this all the time, uh, you know, I mean, in the past we have, um, 
and then look at uh, the State Department's response. He just keeps hammering on, we'll do more, more, you know. And, and <laughs> that's called, you know, they actually have an acronym for that. It's MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. That's saying that since everybody would die, nobody will do it. Well, that's not accounting for accidents, mistakes. Um, <laughs> but it sure leads, you know, it keeps everybody occupied, doesn't it? Um, well, that's true. It does. I mean, mutually assured de- uh, destruction is a. Uh, I learned that when I was a cadet in the Air Force, so uh, it's been around a while. I and, know but exactly. It, it but doesn't like seem complete... to work because Please. it also does not take into account provocation and yeah. uh, extreme anxiety and insanity. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thanks a lot. Uh huh. Well, thank you so much for participating in our conversations this morning. We have not um, solved um, the um, education crises, um, and we haven't solved the problem with with war. We didn't even touch upon the new fascist government in Italy, and it it and what's happening in in terms of throughout throughout the world. Um, but that's why that you stay informed, and that's why you listen to community resources just such as KBOO. Um, Celeste and I it will be here next week. Will we be here next week, Celeste? Yes, we will. God willing, and the creek don't rise. Oh well, you know. <laughs> oh gosh, we won't even. We haven't even talked about climate change, so who knows? <laughs> no, we haven't. There's so much. But you know what? I want to thank our engineer, Ray. I want to thank everybody who has supported and continues to support your community connection, KBOO Radio. Stay tuned for the Old Mole Variety Hour. And Cecil and I will hear you next week.